Welcome everyone this morning to our church service. This is our last Sunday in the series of heaven. And it's been just wonderful to have our gaze lifted up to heaven and our thoughts lifted up to heaven. And uh, the first two songs in our worship set this morning repeat the word holy, 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 holy. So let's make that our focus this morning as we worship together.
around but the grave could not contain you for you will I want to thank uh, Melanie and the worship team for leading us to God's throne of grace today and to welcome everybody. Now, I've got some uh, good news today. Um, there's a couple that are here today on our campus. I think they're sitting here in the worship service who are celebrating a half century of marriage. And that is Nelson and Melba Sanguinetti. That was yesterday, correct? Yeah. Great. And uh, you know what? In, in, in uh, our day today, this is a, that's a real accomplishment. And I know the two of you really well, and I can see why it's lasted for 50 years. Uh, you're wonderful people. Thank you. God bless you. Um, yeah. So we want to help our people um, at uh, First Church to connect, grow, and serve. And that's all about making Christ-like disciples with a heart for God and a passion for people. That's why we're here, is to make disciples is to help people to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ in his character. Um, we want you to connect and one of the ways that you can do that coming up very soon a week from this Tuesday, Tuesday night December the 1st at 7 o'clock we are having a town hall meeting or a church information meeting um, and it's going to be on Zoom. You're welcome to come to that. This is a time when you can come with your questions, your thoughts, your suggestions, all of that and we'll be there to engage with you. So that's coming up a week from Tuesday on Zoom. Um, second thing is tonight is our monthly prayer summit. Uh, this is one of the things I really look forward to. It is a wonderful time. A lot of you here today are regular attendees of that. And so tonight at 6 o'clock on Zoom, all the information that you need is on the website. The last thing I want to mention is this. We want you to grow as well and connect through life groups. A life group is simply a small group of people who gather together weekly, bi-weekly, um, and just usually meet in a home. Uh, these days, more often, it happens on Zoom, sometimes over the telephone. A lot of people say, you know, I feel really disconnected. I feel really isolated. One of the questions I'm starting to ask people is, are you in a, are you in a small group? And they go, no. That's part of the reason why you're feeling that. If you want to be more connected call our church and find out more about how you can get connected with a life group. Now, I am asking some of you 
who are in life groups or who may not even be in a group, could you start one? I would love to hear from you. Pastor, I'm really feeling led to consider starting a group of my own. We need to help people get more connected and to grow deeper in Jesus. And one of the ways is if more people would be prepared to learn how to lead a group. And we will help you. We will give you the resources that you need. And that's it. These are just some of the ways that we want you to connect, grow, and serve at First Church. And now we're going to have an opportunity to listen to Pastor Trent McDowell. He's got a few things he wants to say to us and lead us in prayer. God bless you. Worship team, thank you so much for that time of worship. I am thankful that we get to sing together, whether it's at home or here in person at church. Now, as a church, uh, I want to encourage all of us to consider what is your giving? What are your donations like in this coming season? Here at First Naz, we encourage you to be prayerful about how you might serve one another in this season. Now, for us, you can always donate online at firstnaz.ca slash give. Or if you're here, there's an opportunity where you can go at the back um, where there's the tithing table. So all of this is available. Now, as a community, I would like us to pray. Now, in preparation for prayer, I just want to, uh, in these past weeks, Pastor Brian has been talking about revelation. He's been talking about end times. He's been talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and how all of this comes together. And for our time of prayer, I would like to cite and read some of the prayers that, come, uh, that show up in Revelation, the book of Revelation. And so I, you don't have to do this, but I'll have my eyes open for part of the time of prayer so that I can read these passages. I would encourage you to just, wherever you're at, uh, just have your hands open, ready to hear and praise God through Scripture as well as just our time of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we begin this time of prayer as a community of faith, we give you acknowledgement of who you are. We give you praise for who you are. And in the book of Revelation, there are beautiful moments where your holy elders and the people of God declare who you are. Statements like this, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. Worthy is the lamb who was slain, who received power, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength to you, our God, forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for being a God who hears, who sees, who responds, who reveals yourself to a world in need. Lord, if you did not first come and show us, we would never have known. Lord, we could never have found or heard or known anything about you other than if you, because of your great revelation to us. Thank you for that grace. And today, 
in this world, it's so easy for our eyes and our attention get, to get pulled in all sorts of different directions. We ask right now, Lord, that you would help us to see you, that you would draw our attention from small things, petty things, selfish things to you, that we would slow ourselves down long enough to realize that your voice, though often still and quiet and small, is a voice of power and weight and authority, and your word changed this world. Lord, help us to be attentive to your word today and every day. Help us to be attentive to your voice that goes before us, proclaiming goodness in this world, and may we match your voice. May our lips proclaim your goodness. May our lips speak of good things. May our lips build up and not tear down. Lord, we love you. We are thankful that we can come to you right now. And in our thanks, we are mindful of the pain in this world, the hurts, the, the, the challenges, people disconnected from family and from friends. And Lord, we ask that you be present with our community, those that are hurting, those that are in need. Lord, we just think of those that are uh, in long-term care facilities and are anxious about what might happen in these next weeks as the coronavirus still continues to push forward and dominate our conversations and fill us with fear and be a very real threat. Lord, give us sensitivity to the needs of others. Draw our minds to maybe one or two friends in the church that we can send a text message to, Lord, or an email or a letter and just affirm one another that we are a family that we can support one another. And so, Lord, we turn our attention from these things of this world and we turn our attention to you and we trust that as we make much of you, you align everything else in our lives. We love you and we adore you. In your name, amen. Now, the reading of scripture today is found in Peter. Um, and what, what is so good about the passage is that it speaks to the day of the Lord, that great and terrible day, and yet it's something that we anticipate and look forward to. I'm excited for us to hear what Pastor Brian has to say about the tension between those two things, about an earth being renewed, but also being destroyed. How does that work? How does that fit together? Now, I'd like to start my scripture reading at verse 3 of chapter 3. Now, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By that same word the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord is a day, uh, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient 
with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar and the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look toward Uh, Look forward to the day of God and its speed, and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's good to be with all of you uh, again. And this is the last in a series of messages called Heaven Better Than You Imagined. And actually, the title Heaven is, wasn't really what I wanted to go with because I think when we use the word heaven, we think of something very, very sort of ethereal and immaterial. And I've been trying to correct that notion throughout this series of messages. Um, I became a Christian at the age of 24. Uh, do you know what year that was, by the way? 1974. I was born in 1950, and uh, but I became a Christian in the spring of 1974, and I started to read a lot of books. Uh, I was studying physics at the time, but I was reading, besides that, I was reading a lot of books on Christianity, and I wanted to learn more about my faith, and I came across this book, um, and it was interesting because I was a physics major, so this book was written by a guy um, who was studying engineering, and, um, and so I, I can't remember the name of the author, but I just remember getting this book and reading it. And this guy who wrote the book, who is a believer, a, a follower of Jesus, he was studying engineering and he came across the passage of scripture that Trent McDowell just read to us. You know, where everything is going to be destroyed and the elements are going to burn up in the heat. You know, it's, it's going to all be over for this earth. And this engineer who wrote this book said to himself, why would I continue studying engineering and be interested in building structures, bridges and buildings and that sort of thing if it's all just going to go up in smoke and be destroyed? And so he quit engineering And I can't remember what he did do, but I think he went into some kind of mission work or ministry. I tried to find the book. I I, I could not find it. I Googled and I just couldn't find it. But the book made a real impact upon me and how I thought about heaven and earth. Um, It wasn't until maybe the last 20, 25 years, even while I was a pastor, um, that I came to a better picture, a clearer picture of what heaven really is and God's plan for the heavens and the earth. I remember, as many of you do, how many of you here today uh, and some of you watching online, how many of you have ever had two people come to your door, usually on a Saturday morning, and knock at your door and they have some pamphlets for you? You know who I'm talking about. Okay, so this is a church group and they're called the Jehovah's Witnesses um, and they have a version of the Bible, which is interesting 
It's called the New World Translation. Now, you might wonder, why did they call it the New World Translation? Well, there was a reason for that. Because they believed that this world was going to become a new world. And one of the things that they would say when they came to the door, they would do this. And I would try to argue with them using this passage that Trent McDowell read, Second Peter, about everything being destroyed. But they would say, do you think that God is going to one day destroy all this beauty? That he's going to destroy this earth and, and um, all the vegetation and the flowers and the forest? Do you really think he's going to destroy this universe and the wonders in the sky? And I thought, you guys don't know what you're talking about. That's what I thought. Well, by the way, they're, you know, we don't agree with them theologically in a lot of areas. But here's one thing where they were right. God is not going to ultimately destroy everything. And I want to talk about this passage in in particular because it seems to contradict a lot of what I've been teaching and what other scriptures say. So over the last, I don't know whether it was 15 years ago, something that brought greater clarity to me on how to think about heaven and earth was a book by N.T. Wright. Tom Wright, uh, he's a, a very, he's a world-renowned biblical scholar, lives in England, very brilliant man, written a lot of books, and uh, he wrote a book called Surprised by Hope, and that book really crystallized the way I think about heaven and earth and about our responsibility in this age right now on this earth. Um, then I came across a book by Randy Elkhorn. A lot of you have this book, and you've been studying it in your small group, and it's called Heaven. And he agrees pretty much with everything that N.T. Wright says. Uh, Whereas Randy Alcorn's book probably just makes it a bit more deliverable to the average person who doesn't have a theological education. And then I remember when I started getting emails from people um, about an organization called Arosha. And it's a Christian organization that's really dedicated to the care of our creation. And I remember that here was a Christian group who were environmentalists. They were saying, you know what, we, gotta, we, we should be concerned about climate change and global warming and taking care of our forests and all of that. And uh, here's a Christian group that was sort of trying to catch up with what a lot of secular people were saying and saying, you know what, what we do with this planet matters. We can't just trash it because we think, well, God's going to just destroy it all in the end. All we need to do is just wait around until Jesus returns and he'll, he'll take us out of here. And so I want to address that today. Um, some of you who've been following this series uh, probably are already there where these uh, people from Arosha and others who uh, care about this earth. Uh, some of you are already there and you're kind of going, boy, I'm really glad you're talking about this, Pastor. Some of you... Um, probably were aware, maybe even before I was, that uh, God was going to redeem the earth and not just the people of the earth. So the question um, I want to ask today is what is our responsibility in this world as it is now? In this present age, what is your responsibility to this planet and to the people on it? How should we be living our lives now in this present time? So I want us to just look a little more closely at this passage in 2 Peter chapter 3. So I'll give you a little bit of context. When Peter was writing this letter, which we call 2 Peter, it was a second letter, 
uh, to these Christians. Um, there were a lot of false teachers going around that day. And you know what they were doing? Uh, they, they had heard, these false teachers had heard that Jesus was going to return. You know, because he, he was crucified, he rose again, he ascended to be at the right hand of the Father. And, they, and the Christians were preaching in Jerusalem and throughout the known world. And they said, but Jesus said he's going to return. And a lot of them expected that he was going to return very soon in their lifetime. But it didn't happen. He was taking his time. And so some of these false teachers, which Peter calls scoffers, they were going, yeah, right. You know, he keeps, you know, you guys keep saying Jesus is going to return, but where is he? How come it hasn't happened yet? We don't think it's going to happen. You know what? It's just going to be everything just, you know, the sun rises in the morning, it sets at night, every day is another day, business as usual, nothing's changing. So we're not worried about it. And they would mock those who are looking forward to the return of Christ. Now, there's a couple of dangers here that we have to watch out for. One is to think that the return of Jesus is not going to happen at all because it's taking so long. That's a danger for us. To, so here's what happens. If you are of that mindset where you're scoffing and you're saying, you know, all those people who talk about prophecy and they talk about the end times and the end of everything, you know, like the apocalypse, as we call it, just ignore them. It's not going to happen. We can take care of this ourselves. We don't need to wait for the return of Jesus. Be careful, Christian, because um, it will happen in his time one day. And that can cause us to fall into, lapse into like a false security where we think you know, everything's fine, our politicians will figure it out right. You know, look around, folks what's happening in our world right now. I don't have a lot of confidence in our politicians and the decisions that they're making. I don't think you do either. The other danger besides ignoring it is this, and that is, what you know what? We can figure out the day and the hour when Jesus is going to uh, return. And so there are Christians who become obsessed about the end times and about the return of Jesus. And, and they start um, forming these theories about when it's going to happen. And you know what? There are people who've dressed themselves in white robes and they've gone up, they sold all their possessions and went up on a hill because they made a calculation that Jesus was going to return on Sunday, November the 11th or something like that. And it didn't happen. And it looks very foolish and it's damaging to our faith. That's the other danger. And the Bible actually warns of that kind of thinking as well. So we need to be careful. I remember, and I've told you this before in a sermon a few years ago, somebody gave me a book in the mid-1980s, and the title of the book was called 88 Reasons Why Christ Will Return by 1988. I still have that book on my bookshelf in my office. Now, I'm not mocking that. All I'm saying is we need to be careful about those kind of predictions. But we also need to make sure that we're vigilant. Um, so for Peter, for those people that were mocking and they were scoffing about the return of Jesus, um, he wanted to warn them in the starkest terms that there would be a day of reckoning for human kind. He calls it the day of the Lord. The Old Testament and the New Testament talks a lot about the day of the Lord. 
when the Lord will return. And this is what he says, and this is found in verse 10. He says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now, when a thief comes, my wife and I went on a trip at Christmas time, I think maybe 2005, something like that. It was during the winter. We came back in early January. We, came, uh, we have a detached garage in the back. We kind of were walking to our back door. I saw the doorknob of our back door laying on the, in the snow. And in horror, I looked up and realized immediately that somebody broke in when we were gone. Jesus said, I will come back. He said himself that he would come like a thief in the night. He isn't a thief, but he'll come suddenly, unexpectedly, and there will be catastrophic consequences for those who are not ready. Are you ready? Are we ready? I remember, and many of us still remember, those of us who were old enough to remember, September 11, 2001, when those terrorist attacks happened. Do you remember what kind of day that was? Um, if, you've ever, if you've watched any of the news, you can still find it on YouTube. You watch it. They, the, all the news channels like CNN and NBC and all that were talking about what a beautiful, warm, sunny day, blue skies day it was in New York that morning. Beautiful fall day. And it came upon them suddenly like a thief. The parable of the ten virgins talks about those who kept their lamps trimmed and those who did not. They weren't ready. Are we ready? So the question is, well, the point is, is he is going to return. Why the delay? Well, this is what he says in verses 8 and 9. He says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. Think about this. Now, Einstein in 1905 published these papers, one of them was on the special theory of relativity, where he said time itself is relative. We know that in our day. Um, and you know what? We just know that for God, he can look into the future. Why were the prophets able to predict future events? Because God can stand above time and he can see it all at the same time. And he's saying that here. He's saying the Lord is not, verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. What he's saying is God's not procrastinating. We can say, God's procrastinating. What's he doing? Is he dithering up there? No. He's saying he's being patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So he warns those who are deliberately ignoring God's judgment in past history. One thing that we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. He was saying that this about these people. Don't you realize? Look at the Bible. Look at the Old Testament. God's judgment did come. It came on places like Sodom and Gomorrah. And for those who are sleeping and not awake, it's going to catch them by surprise. And this is what he says in verses 5 to 7. He said, they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being. So we know Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And he said, let there be light. And he saw that it was good on the six days of creation. But then it tells us that the flood came in the days of Noah. In verse 6, it says, these waters, he's talking about the flood, 
He said, by this, these waters, the word world was deluged and destroyed. He uses the word, the world was destroyed. He says, by this same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment. Now, the key to understanding what Peter's saying here about the, the heavens and the earth being destroyed is found right in this chapter, chapter 3. Peter's drawing a comparison between the flood in Noah's day, water that destroyed the earth, and the fire in which all the elements will burn in the heat and things will be destroyed in the future when Jesus returns. Think about this. This is what he's saying. The earth was destroyed in the days of Noah, but it wasn't obliterated. The earth, the planet, did not cease to exist. Yes, it was destroyed in the sense that all the surface things and those who did not have faith in God were judged. What he's saying is in the future, God will use fire. Now, is that a metaphor or is that literal? Uh, scholars differ on that. But the earth was still inhabited and inhabitable. It was habitable after the flood and the waters receded. In the same way, when God burns it all up with this fire of judgment, it will be habitable again. God will renew the earth. He will renew all things. And so when we read 2 Peter chapter 3, what we have to keep in mind is when he says the present heavens and the earth will be destroyed... With fire, they will disappear. He's talking about this world as we know it now. It's going to be transformed. And also, we should keep in mind, uh, if you read Acts chapter 2, Peter gets up to preach, you know, and he talks about how uh, they put Jesus on the cross. Uh, they crucified him and he died, but he rose again from the dead, and then he ascended into heaven. Read Acts chapter 2. Peter's preaching this sermon. And then he talks about Jesus. He's saying he must remain in heaven at the right hand of the Father until the restoration of all things. Peter uses that term, restoration of all things. And so Peter is not contradicting himself here. He's saying, yes, things will be destroyed, but they will be restored. And so there's no conflict between what Peter's saying here and what the Apostle Paul was saying in Romans chapter 8, where he said the whole creation was subjected to futility, but the creation itself will be liberated and made new. There's no conflict here between what Paul's saying about the earth and the creation being renewed and what Peter's saying in it being destroyed. Um, God will destroy the surface things just like a, a forest fire ravages the earth, but then things begin to come back to life many years later. Um, and actually, I'm just going to jump ahead here. I think I might be a little bit out of order on the slides, but uh, many of you might remember when Mount St. Helens erupted. Um, and so I'm looking here, so Molly sitting here. Molly, do you remember when Mount St. Helens erupted? No, of course you don't. <laughs> she wasn't here at that time. But you probably know about it. And this thing erupted, 
And it spewed debris just everywhere and destroyed so much vegetation, you know, and all that. But you know what? Over the decades, it's, begin, it, it's begun to come back again. Things do come back even after they're destroyed, as it were, by fire. And so there will be a renewal. Folks, there will be a renewal of the heavens and the earth. Look at verses 12 and 13. He says, that day, the day of the Lord, when Christ returns, he said, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. And then he says this, but, but, in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Do you remember when I preached on Isaiah 65 some time ago? That's what he's talking about. In keeping with his promise in Isaiah 65, there will be a new heavens and a new earth and righteousness and peace and joy and every good thing will dwell there. So here's the thing. When God brings to pass this new creation, is it going to be a rebuild or will it be a renovation? You know in Calgary. Now, we used to live in a house. Uh, I can't remember. It was on 4th Street. It was uh, in North Hill. And uh, what was the address of that? It was 18th Avenue? Yeah. I think it was like 420 18th Avenue. I can't remember. Okay. Couldn't hear that, but anyway. By the way, but folks, I'm getting my hearing aids on Tuesday. And, thank you. But I can't read your lips when you got your masks on. But keep them on. Um, but I remember that home. It was a bungalow that we lived in. And I remember many years later driving by, and uh, they did that sort of infill. They, 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 they put up these new structures there. That house is gone. They did a rebuild. There's people that, you know, developers, sometimes they buy property, and they just tear it down, and they do a rebuild. Is that what God's going to do? Or will it be a renovation of sorts? Well, in this passage in 2 Peter chapter 3, the Apostle Peter uses this word destroyed quite a bit. You know, it's going to be destroyed. But you know what? He uses three different words in the Greek language. Just like we have synonyms for the same thing, so, so did he. But what's interesting is it becomes really unclear, or it's actually quite clear that what he means is not ultimately destroyed. That one day, it will be restored again. It's, it'll be a little bit like Mount St. Helens. The surface things will be obliterated, but things will be restored. And so, for instance, when you became a... Okay, I'm going to refer to myself. When I became a Christian at the age of 24, I was born again. But you know, I still have memories of the first 24 years. My personality didn't change. I was still me. But what God began to do when I was born again is he made me new in the sense that he was renovating my heart. And Dallas Willard actually has a book by that title, The Renovation of the Heart. He was renovating me. He's taking that which is the old 
and he's restoring it and making it what it was supposed to be, he will do the same thing with this creation, the heavens and the earth. The only thing is God will do it instantaneously. It's not going to take decades or hundreds of years. So when Peter writes this in 2 Peter chapter 3, he's not talking about extinction of the earth or the universe. Not the extinction of it, but the ruin of it. But he will renew it again. So then in verse 10, and don't worry about this on the screen, but it says the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Laid bare. Kind of like a forest fire that ravages all those trees and it's laid bare. But comes back many years later. Um, in the, that's in the NIV. It uses the term laid bare to translate that Greek word. The English Standard Version actually uses the word exposed. Everything in it will be exposed. And what some scholars believe this means is that the earth and the people in it will be exposed. It'd be like the emperor who had no clothes. And he's exposed for what he really is. Um, to be exposed is when your hypocrisy is found out. That's what he's talking about here. He's saying the earth... And everything in it on the day that Jesus returns, that which is hidden in darkness will be brought into the light. There won't be any secrets then because all of us will stand before God and give an account. The Bible says in Hebrews 4 verse 13, everything will be uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom he must give an account laid bare, exposed before his eyes on that day. What will God see when he looks at you? He's not looking at your outward appearance. He does not care how you dress. He's looking inside. You know, he, he wants to get the measure of the person, your character. So, on that day, anything that is not done for Christ will be burned up. So, how many of you have ever heard this? Uh, you've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul? You've heard that? You've probably gone to funerals. You say, never seen a hearse. So, you know what? You can't take it with you, folks. You can't. Naked I came into the world, and naked I will leave kind of thing. Guess what? Do not think that that means that the things in this life, the choices that you make don't matter. Christians, you know they matter. That which is done for Christ will last for eternity. That engineer I talked about at the beginning, he got that part. But what he didn't realize is that this earth, this planet also matters a lot. And I want to come to that point again in just a second. So God's fire of judgment will consume the bad and it will refine the good. The chaff will be burned up, but the wheat will remain. What about you? Because what you do for Christ 
will remain. I've wondered about that. Would works of art like Galileo, not Galileo, Da Vinci, um, Michelangelo, uh, Botticelli, would those things be in heaven? Hmm, think about that. What about the great music Bach wrote for the glory of God? Is, will that remain? Don't think that everything in this world is for naught. What you do for Christ matters a lot. And so just as there's going to be a resurrection of these bodies, there will also be a resurrection, so to speak, or a restoration of this earth, this cosmos that we live in. And that's why at the end of this passage, Peter says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Ask yourself right now, what kind of person ought I to be? Knowing this, what kind of person should I be? Just ask yourself that question. You ought to live holy and godly lives, he says in verse 11. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, come Lord Jesus, Maranatha. He said we should be looking forward to it, not dreading it. If you're dreading it, then you, either you don't understand what's waiting for us or you know you're not ready. Are you ready? And then he says, so then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. So why does this all matter? Why have I preached on this series? Besides the fact that Audrey Wall asked me to, (laughs) the reason I'm preaching on it is because I've been praying about preaching on this topic for actually a few years now. This is not about pie in the sky by and by. All this teaching that I've been bringing matters to us now, should matter to us now. It should impact how we think about our lives in this world, in this present age. Stephen Covey, in the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he said, live with the end in mind. Look at the end. Look at the end of your life and then work back. What do you want people to say about you at your celebration of life or your funeral? But here, think even beyond that. Think of the life to come. Keep that in your mind. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Go through your life like that. So how do we live now? First thing is, Christians, we need to wake up. We need to wake up. I am so concerned, and I'm not alone in this. I meet with pastors almost, well, pretty much every week. And I also meet with a group of pastors on Thursdays from across the country, from various denominations. I'm a part of a lot of conferences and talks. And pastors are saying, a lot of pastors are saying, there's apathy. The church is asleep in our day. And I'm not talking here about political engagement. And that's not what Peter was talking about. Yes, we should exercise our right to vote and all of that. And maybe even run for office or campaign for those who do. But that's not what this is talking about. He's talking about the kind of person you are. Character matters. We need to wake up and not be sleeping and just waiting for the Lord to return as if nothing in this life matters. It does matter. 
That's why he says in verse 14, be found spotless, pure, be at peace with him. I'm seeing Christians today who are acting belligerently in our world on both sides of the political spectrum to one another, acting belligerently and not being at peace. And until we're at peace with God, we will never be at peace with each other. We need to, there needs to be civility again. There needs to be, uh, why does the Bible talk so much about humility and gentleness? Jesus himself said that. So we need to wake up and realize who we are in Christ and then begin to bring a little heaven on earth. Be a peacemaker. Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called children of God. I am a peacemaker. I choose to be a peacemaker. I choose to be a man of peace. Would you choose to be a person of peace while you're trying to make change? Martin Luther King did the civil rights marches in the 1950s and 60s. They did it peaceably. He would not use violence. Be at peace with him and then we can be at peace with each other. And we can still bring change. So the second thing I want to say is live responsibly. So wake up, but live responsibly. Um, knowing that heaven is coming or that we're, that it, it, again, we're not going to heaven. Heaven and earth are going to be brought together in a great marriage. The new Jerusalem, the city of God will come down. The whole earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. But Jesus said in the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That will become a reality where his kingdom will come on earth. His will will be done on earth. The earth will be redeemed and it's going to be made new. But guess what? It isn't just about waiting around. We need to be activists. We need to take action. Not just living with hope for tomorrow, but taking action for today. So I do want to come back to this. We need to take care of each other. We really do. We need to take care of our relationships. I'm doing that. I do that in this church. When there is conflict between leaders in this church, I go for it. And I don't always do it right away. I pray first. I say, God, is this the right time? But pseudo-community and just wearing a smile but inside you hate their guts, folks, that's not the Christian way. That's not what Jesus taught us. And I say it begins with leadership. It begins with me. I need to be at peace. I need to be at peace with my, my wife, my family. It starts there. Well, it starts with my peace with God, but we have to be at peace with each other. That's our testimony. We've got to take care of ourselves and our relationships. But we have to take care of this planet. Just like us, Romans chapter 8 makes it very clear. This earth will be redeemed. Guess what? This planet right now is our home. People say this earth is, ain't not, is not my home. It is your home. But as it is now, it's not because it's going to be, it's going to be renovated. It's going to be better. Um, John, the apostle, says, do not love the thing, the world or the things that are in the world. He says that. He's talking about the zeitgeist. He's talking about the, the way of the world, the, the culture of the world, the way the world thinks and does things. He's saying, don't be like that. Don't be hateful. Don't be violent. Don't be a cheat. Don't be a deceiver. You know, that's what he's talking about. But this world, this planet, is our home, 
And it'd be like this. If you were going to, so my wife and I renovated our home a few years ago. Now, can you imagine if we had the attitude of, you know what, it's going to be renovated in a few years once we have enough money, so let's trash it right now while we're living in it. That doesn't make any sense. Why would we trash this world? Why would we take the position that that doesn't matter? Because you know what? The decisions you make now matter to God, and they will follow you in the life to come. And I've got scripture that I can share with you about that. If you doubt me. So that's the first thing is wake up. Let's be awake. Let's be vigilant. Let's be ready. Second thing is let's live responsibly. The third thing is be the change. Be the change. Um, my thoughts about what is to come forms and shapes my identity today. Um, when I look ahead to my reward, it reminds me of what's important. When I think about heaven, the new heavens and the new earth, the new creation, it shapes who I am. It, it tells me what's important, what matters, and the decisions I make. And so we need a vision of the new world. We need a vision of the exalted Christ. Once you see him, encounter him. Once you get a vision of the new heavens and the new earth by studying scripture, it can't help but change you. You know when Moses was on the mountain, what happened to his face? He radiated the glory of God. You can't spend time in his presence without being transformed by it. What about Isaiah's vision where he fell down like a dead man and he said, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. He was transformed by it. Immigrants who come to Canada have a vision of what life would be like when they get here. And that inspires them. It transforms them even before they arrive. Um, that's what it should do for us. And so what I want us to do is pray. And if you just bow your heads with me, and would you just ask yourself, Lord, or ask the Lord to say, Lord, would you show me how I can bring heaven to earth in the decisions I make and the life I live? Lord, help me to be fully awake, to be alert, to be vigilant, to have my eyes wide open to your presence and all that you want to do through me. And if you haven't been awake and you've been kind of asleep at the wheel, would you say, Lord, forgive me for being in a state of slumber, for not fulfilling the responsibility that you've given me in this age. Help me, Lord, to do your will in the here and now. That your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that your kingdom will come. In little ways. Even in this present age. And Lord help me to live responsibly. Convict me Lord when I'm not living responsibly. Lord you've made me a steward of everything that you've given me. You've given me talents. You've given me gifts. You've given me time. You've given me life and breath. Help me Lord to live responsibly before you so that one day you'll be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And lastly, Lord, I pray that you'd help me to be the change. 
Help me, Lord, not to stand in judgment on others so much as to stand in judgment upon myself where, where sin needs to be exposed, where I need to change, and help me to be the change, and help me to do it peaceably and with love. And now, Father, I pray that you would send us from this place today, not only with your blessing, but inspired to be fully awake, to live responsibly, and to be the change that we want to see in this world. And in so doing, Lord, we will hasten your coming and the age to come. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. Have a great week.